My wife and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary. We've been married for a little over 40 years, 40 years in three weeks now. And I know some of you are thinking, how did she put up with you for 40 years? She is a saint. That's how she did it. But I was thinking about what Paul does in this passage. It's like he's holding up a diamond. And I remember a little over 40 years ago going into the jeweler, buying a diamond that would be put into a setting, and he told me about all the... Back then, I think there were only three C's. Now there's five C's, cut, clarity, quality, care, and something else. What is it, Willie? Did you know any of those C's? Thank you for pointing that out. Hey, I actually wrote it down. Cut, carrot, color, clarity, and care. Yeah, the three C's. First one's quality. I grew up in Georgia, okay? What can I say? We didn't have keys back then. We didn't know what to do with them. But I, it's, and, and what Paul does in this passage is if he's holding up a most precious anything and looking at it and describing it for us, and this is way more precious than any diamond, regardless of whether it's quality or not. This is Jesus. This is Paul explaining to the church in Colossae what Jesus has done for them and who they are because of what Jesus has done for them. So let me read the passage, Colossians chapter 1. Verses 13 through 20. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and to him all things hold together. He also is head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So Paul holds up Jesus to the church at Colossae. Just as a reminder, this was a small church. It was in an area that was kind of declining. It had once been a little more prosperous of a town. And it's a place that Paul apparently had never been. Epaphras was the leader of the church. He was a disciple of Paul, probably a convert of Paul. And he has made the journey from Colossae over a 1,000 miles if Paul's in Rome, in prison, we know he's in prison, assuming that he's in Rome, come a long ways to bring news of the church at Colossae. And Paul already twice in this passage has said that he's praying for them because he's concerned about what's affecting the church from the outside, wanting to get inside the church. So Paul pulls up Jesus and what he's done for us. And y'all, the words that he uses are incredible words. First, he has rescued us. The word literally means to liberate. Jesus, because of what he's done for us, has rescued us. We were the enemy captive of a dark domain. So I want you to imagine if you've been captured by a foreign enemy and you're all alone in a dark place, perhaps a cell, and you're hopeless, you're helpless, and all of a sudden Alpha Team comes through the door and rescues you. That is exactly what Paul's describing that Jesus has done. He has rescued us. You were hopeless. You were helpless. You were in the domain of darkness, a force, a mastery, a power, authority of darkness. 
I'm going to use this side of the stage for darkness because we're going to use this again in a minute. But you were over here. He has rescued you from over here. And he uses the term domain of darkness. What happens in darkness? Well, for one, you can't see anything. Did any of your parents ever tell you nothing good happens after? And they used to put a time in there, whether it was midnight, 11 o'clock, I don't know. Not everything that happens before that was good either. But my mom was say, you need to be home by midnight. If you're not home, the phone better be ringing. Keep in mind, that was back in the day before cell phones. So you better plan ahead if you weren't going to be home by, by midnight. Because my mom especially was going to be up waiting on me. Nothing good happens after midnight. It's dark. If you get up in the middle of the night to go to the kitchen and you think, men are bad about this because we're macho. I don't need to turn the lights on. What happens when you try to work your way into the kitchen? You're going to hit something. You're going to hit your little toe on the recliner. You're going to step on Mr. Potato Head or something, a Lego that's been left out, something. And so Paul is using darkness to describe the domain that we were imprisoned by before you came to Christ. So understand, as a Christian, you're not in that domain anymore. You're not in darkness. You've been rescued from that. But it gets even better. Not only are we rescued, we're transferred, literally carried away, exchanged. You've been moved from that condition and haven't been left high and dry. He's moved you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So the Father, through Jesus Christ, has rescued you. He's transferred you. You're now in a new kingdom. The word would be descriptive of someone that was taken out of one country and put into a new country with the full rights and citizenship of the new country. You've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. So already we've got two great words, rescue, transfer. It gets even better. In whom we have redemption. The word means ransom. You've been redeemed. You've been ransomed in full. Mark 10, 45 says, Jesus speaking, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So you've been rescued. You've been transferred. And what had to take place for that transfer to happen is a ransom had to be paid. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But keep that word in mind, the ransom for your redemption has been paid, and we have been forgiven. So you've received transfer, you've received redemption, you've received forgiveness. Keep in mind, you weren't able to forgive yourself, you weren't able to earn God's forgiveness. He did everything necessary for you to be forgiven. The word means to send away. Isn't that cool? The sin that you were carrying on your back the day you came to faith in Christ. You couldn't do anything about it. But he has transferred you. He's rescued you. He's transferred you. He has redeemed you. He's paid the penalty, the ransom in full for you to be forgiven. For some of you, you need to let that sink in this morning. If you're a child of God, this applies to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. If you feel like saying that out loud, say it out loud. But if you feel like saying it to yourself, I want you to say with me, I am forgiven. Thank you. You're forgiven. So live like you're forgiven. Christians don't need deliverance from the dominion of sin. They need to live as if they've already received it because you have. Same author, Paul, in Romans, puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. In fact, the whole chapter is awesome, but I'm just going to read some highlights, three highlights from Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? You've been rescued. You've been transferred. 
You've been redeemed, ransomed, paid in full. You've been forgiven. So don't stay wallowing in your sin that you've been forgiven of. Verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So for some of you, you just needed that point this morning to understand who you are in Christ. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been rescued, you've been transferred, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. Now, the enemy loves to come back and bring up all your old sin, doesn't he? And I've said this before, but the next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. You're forgiven. He's going to spend eternity in a place called hell where there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be heat, eternal fire. You're not destined for that because you've been rescued from that domain. So that's the action of the Father. Look next at the description of the Son. This is great. The most perilous aspect of Colossians, the heresy that was trying to infiltrate the church, was one of two things. Some were teaching that Jesus wasn't enough. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but you need to add this to the cross. And I've said this before. Anything that you add to the cross becomes an enemy of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the ransom for your sin. And it was enough. Nothing has to be added to that. Does God have a plan for your life after that? Absolutely. But you don't add something to it for your forgiveness. So one part of the heresy is Jesus isn't enough. The other part was even worse, and that is Jesus isn't God. I'm going to see if my little pointer will work here. I've got a slide for you. This became to be known as Gnosticism. You know, I was going to point at this, Casey. I don't know how I'm going to point at it. I'm going to have to come down here. You see my little pointer? This isn't working too good. See the pointer over there? Can you see the pointer? It doesn't work once I put it on the screen. It doesn't work. See up to the top right, true God. This is what the Gnostic heresy is. True God, and then there's these emanations, these spiritual beings, and Christ, they said, was just a step away from God, but it got worse. Once you got to that slash line, you left the spiritual or the good realm, you entered into the physical or the evil realm, and they said there's no way that Christ crossed the dotted line. What do you mean by that? Some would even say that Christ never touched his feet on planet Earth, but he really wasn't fully God. He was just an emanation from God. Now, all of that sounds weird, but that's the issue we're dealing with with several letters of the New Testament. So keep that in mind as Paul unpacks who Jesus is because it smacks right in the face of this idea of these other emanations. And you finally get down here to this dark circle. It's an evil emanation from God because to be on planet Earth, you're evil. Are you confused? Well, look what Paul says the first thing. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact replication. In fact, I'll, I'll teach you a Greek word this morning. It's the word icon. That's the word here, econ or icon. It's where we get the word icon. It means there's an exact representation of something, and Jesus is the exact representation of God because Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. Would the heretics in Colossae believe that? Absolutely not. That's what Epaphras is teaching in the church, but outside the church and trying to infiltrate the church is the teaching that Jesus wasn't fully God. He was just from God, or what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. So he's the image of the invisible God, the God that we've never seen, but we saw him through the person of Jesus Christ. Little Johnny was coloring in school one day, and his teacher said, 
So what, what are you coloring? He said, a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, nobody's ever seen God. They don't know what he looks like. He said, they will when I'm finished. Well, God is the invisible God, but Jesus was the exact repl- replication or the exact image of the invisible God. So you see, back to the graph, you see how that would go against what they're being taught? Jesus isn't one step away from God. He is the true God. But Jesus also came all the way to earth. He became like us, didn't he? He became fully man. He's fully God, fully man. In fact, Paul says he's the firstborn of all creation. And we get hung up on the word firstborn and think, wait wait a minute. Jesus was never born. No, Jesus is eternal. We'll look at that in a minute. But the word literally means foremost. He's the foremost of all creation. He's the one over creation. So Paul's going to unpack words like he's the foremost. By him, all things are created. We know that from Genesis. We know it from John 1. Jesus wasn't just there at creation. He was the agent of creation. Everything that has been created was created by Jesus, both in the heavens and on earth. I mean, Paul makes it real specific. In case you're not following along, in case you're not tracking with him, Paul says he created everything. Is there anything left out of everything? No, but just to be clear, he created both the heavens and the earth. You can look at the earth. You can look up at the heavens. Everything you see and even things you can't see were created by Jesus because he created visible and invisible. He created the angels. He created things we can't see. He is fully God. He created thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. He says it again. All things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the image of God. He's the firstborn foremost of creation. But he's also before all things. He's eternal. Jesus doesn't have a beginning, and Jesus certainly won't have an end. God is eternal. That's hard for our finite minds to get a wrap around that because we're not that. We are very finite. But Jesus is God, infinity, never had a beginning, has always existed and always will exist. Before him, nothing was before him. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only is he the agent of creation, he's the agent of preservation. If it feels like the world is falling apart, and has it felt that way in the last year? If you feel like the world's falling apart, understand something. There's someone holding on to it. It's not falling apart. In fact, God's got a plan and a purpose, and it's being unfolded right before our very eyes. Jesus is before all things. Jesus also is the head of the body. The body is the church, ecclesia. Jesus is the head, the, the Lord. The word that he uses is the word for Lord. He's not only the Lord of creation, he's the Lord of the church. He's in charge of the church. You're not. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. <laughs> He is in charge of the church, the body of Christ. The church is not a building. People, we were talking about this morning, people come in and say, man, this is a place a lot bigger inside than it is outside. Well, that's not really possible, but I know what you mean. People drive by and think, they don't realize how much, how much room there is in the chapel. I've told this story before, but just to give you an illustration, I was near Awanata Valley trying to find somewhere to eat and walked up to this farmer. Actually, I drove up. He came over to my car and I said, I said, is it closer to Hendersonville or closer to Greenville? He said, well, where you are is closer to Hendersonville. I said, well, how did I get there? He started pointing with his thumb. He said, well, you go down this road till you come to a church. Now, a church is a brick building with a steeple on top. I thought, what, does he think I'm dumb? I don't know what a church looks like. But that's, you know, with a thumb, overalls, tobacco in his mouth, 
it's a church, it's a brick building with a steeple on the top. Well, let me tell you something. The church that Jesus is Lord of is not a brick building with a steeple on top. It's the body of Christ. It's the body universal. It's the church that if you're a believer, you're part of that church. You're part of the body. And what does body imply? It implies living, breathing organism. It's not brick and mortar. It is alive. And so Jesus is the Lord, the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, firstborn from the dead. Again, the words foremost from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Had anybody ever risen from the dead before Jesus? Yeah. One in particular was Lazarus. Remember him? Jesus called him from the dead. Was Lazarus dead? Absolutely. Was he called back from the dead? But what's the difference in Lazarus and Jesus? Maybe you never thought about this before, but Lazarus died again. Lazarus was brought back from the dead, but Lazarus still died. Jesus came back from the dead, and he lives yet today. He doesn't die again. He's the foremost of all creation, and we have hope because of his being raised from the dead. And then the fifth thing that Paul says under this passage, he'll come to have first place in everything. There's a lot of all and a lot of everything in this passage, but when you're talking about Jesus, you can use words like that. Jesus is foremost. He's first of everything. Now, again, keep in mind who Paul's writing to, but keep in mind that we're reading this now ourselves. And some of the same heresy is being perpetrated on the church and in the church today, and that is that Jesus isn't enough and that Jesus isn't fully God. Last thing, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. What is about to be said in these last two verses explain what has happened before that. It was the Father's will. It was the Father's good pleasure. It was his determination. He approved of this, that all the fullness would dwell in him. All the fullness of God would dwell in Jesus. So it's the Father and the Son and all the fullness. It's not spread out in small doses, which you see from the graphic, all those little images. It's Jesus come to earth. Jesus who didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, took on the form of a servant, became obedient even to the point of death. But you've got to see what happened and why that happened. Jesus, because of God's full pleasure, all the fullness dwell in him, that through him he would reconcile all things to himself. Jesus has reconciled. Jesus has come between two enemies, God and man. We were enemies of God. When we were walking in darkness... It's because we liked the darkness. When we were walking apart from God, it's because we hated God by our very lifestyle. And yet if you've come to faith in Christ, you've been rescued from the darkness. You've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You're not walking in darkness anymore. In fact, now we've been reconciled to change mutually, to change from enemy to friend. The right relationship with God has been restored. And only the one who had the fullness of the Godhead invested in him, could bring about the reconciliation. But how did it happen? He's made peace through the blood of his cross. You see, the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. According to Romans 3.23, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And it happened through the death of Jesus on the cross. God was satisfied because sin was paid for. There had to be death. Hebrews puts it this way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you've been forgiven. You've been brought back into right relationship with God. You've been reconciled to the enemy 
who's now no longer an enemy. You're not an enemy of God. He's not your enemy. We have a very real enemy, and he wants us to believe that Jesus isn't enough and that Jesus isn't really God or that God really doesn't love you because of your sin. God paid the price for your sin so that we could be forgiven. So based on that, four thoughts to close with this morning. Number one, Jesus is fully God. He's not part of God. There's nothing about him that something's left out. God didn't create some emanations that angels have taken up part of the Godhead. Absolutely not. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's fully God. Secondly, Jesus is enough. When Jesus died on the cross for you and said it is finished, what was finished was the sacrificial system that had existed for hundreds of years that you see through the Old Testament. We don't pay the penalty anymore for our sins. We don't have to have Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, every year. We don't have to slaughter bulls and goats because Jesus was the spotless lamb that died in our place, and he is enough. Now, God has a plan for your life. Don't get me wrong. Yes, there's things we do now because we're children of God, but we don't do those things to become children of God. It's because you already are. Number three, you have peace with God. This ought to impact the way you live your life. And the fourth thing is live in that confidence. But you have peace with God. You're no longer enemies. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness that where you were the enemy. You've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. I hope I've done a decent job of sharing that with you. But there's somebody that did a greater job than that. His name's S.M. Lockridge. We're going to close this morning with a clip from one of his sermons. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in turnless form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him?